Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 70 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I chatted recently with Kristen Nicholas. She is that knitwear and embroidery and textile designer. She also has her own line of yarn, and she's the author of several books. She's also illustrated a couple books and co-authored at least one book. She lives in western Massachusetts with her husband, Mark, and her daughter, Julia, and they live on a farm with 150 sheep a bunch of chickens, pigs, cats, and some border collies. So she's going to talk a little bit about what it's like to live on the farm as well. She's got fiber right there on her property. Kristen's latest book is called Kristen Knits, 27 Inspired Designs for Playing with Color. Hopefully this show will inspire you to use some colors you wouldn't have ever thought you would. So settle in with a project, and let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. I am very pleased that you contacted me about being on the show. I'm familiar with your work. I have a couple of your books on uh-huh. my shelf, and now I'm familiar with all of your work uh-huh. <laughs> and, doing, and doing research for, for the interview. And I have to say that it almost might be easier for us to talk about what you don't do. Oh. <laughs> it might be shorter than talking about what you do do. Your latest book is Kristen Knits. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. You are not afraid of color. No. And a lot of people are. A lot of people are, and so I think this is going to be really fun. I think what we'll do is we'll kind of wind our way to your new book. We'll kind of end with that. Okay. I'd love it if you would just kind of start out by telling me a little bit about how you got so crafty and artistic and so not afraid of color. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, I'm the oldest of five girls, and my mom was always trying to keep us busy because there were four of us in five years. Wow. Your your mother, wow. She deserves a medal. Let me tell you. (laughs) So... She sewed, I was born in the late 50s, and that's when people, or well, women, still sewed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so when I was about nine years old, she uh, thought I should learn to sew. And I had, I, de- I had been around it because my grandmother was a crocheter and a tatter and a sewer and quilter. And my mom had always sewed a, a lot of our clothes when we were little because people did that. And... Um, so I started learning, and I just got so into it, and it was an easy way for her to keep me occupied because she just kept giving me fabric, and I would keep making things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, along the way, I learned to embroider because that was basically hand-stitching. Right. And uh, my grandmother made these amazing embroidered things, and she, had, she was from Germany, so she had a lot of hand-embroidered things around the house constantly. You know, her house was full of um, handmade things, crocheted and and embroidered, quilted, um, so it was always around me, and, and I got really interested in it, and then when I got into high school, it was the pretty much the beginning of the women's movement, mm-hmm. and I started to notice that people didn't do this anymore, and it was sort of uh, frowned upon to, to sew because you were called Susie Homemaker, but it didn't stop me because that was what I really liked to do, and uh, so I went to college for textiles and clothing, and it was in the school, when I started, it was the School of Home Economics. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, they, you don't even hear that term anymore because they changed it. And 
then they turned into, into human resources. Basically, it was dietitian, merchandising, uh, clothing design, child care, a lot of the things that are just so important to everyday life. <laughs> right. But women didn't want to do it then. Right. Because they wanted to be, you know, it was just frowned upon. So um, I kept going and kept doing it. And through college, you know, people called me Susie Homemaker, but boy, could I cook. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew how to make things. So, um, well, I'd like to stop you for a second. Did yeah. that did that bother you? Because I know now, you know, there are these classes are coming back, and 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 it's really embraced. I mean, the craft movement is so huge, and it's awesome to wear an apron now. Where a lot of times, you know, women uh, during that time period you're talking about were kind of trying to separate themselves from that. Did it bother you that people were kind of down on what you were trying to do? You know, I don't think it really bothered me because I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I knew I could somehow turn it into a career because. I was really career-driven. It's just that I was in, turning something that was sort of old-fashioned into a career. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And people weren't interested in it anymore, so there still had to be a little bit of room for somebody like me. And I just you know, kept following the, the, the sewing thing and the, the design thing, and I somehow ended up picking up knitting needles when I was 19, and I taught myself to knit out of a book. And I really became just intrigued with it because you could just take this yarn and these knitting needles and you could be knitting anywhere you wanted to. Right. So um, I started, I picked up, uh, I, I actually started hand spinning because I was also interested in wool, the whole romance of the fleece and the, the, the sheep and hand spun wool, you know, with its lumpy textures. I, I liked it. So I took the spinning class and then I had an art teacher. I was always also in the, in the art departments because I wanted to learn how to make fabric, which is weaving, mm-hmm. and they were that was always in the art department. It wasn't ever in the home home economics or human resources department. So I was like a dual major, and the art teacher said, "Get this book, which was Knitting Without Tears, and get this book, which is Montrico's. They used to have these stitch guides, so basically, sort of like the Harmony guides now. Okay. And she said, "You'll be able to design a sweater because you know I could figure it all out because I had all the I knew math." which is all it is. Which is very engaged. helpful, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And I really have never knit a pattern ever. I've always just made it up and gone along. So, And then I went to graduate school for textiles. And that was the last time that knitting was big, which was in the beginning of the 80s. And it started to surge. And when I got out of school, I worked in New York City as a merchandising assistant for in the textile business for a few years. And then I really wanted to be in the yarn business. And so I, I sent out some letters, and I got a response from this one company, Classic Elite Yarns, and I met them for uh, an interview, and I was hired. I, w- I got married to my husband, and we moved up to, to Eastern Mass, and I worked there for 16 years. Wow. Was that unusual to, to move that quickly into the job you really wanted? I guess it was, because all my friends that went to college didn't end up doing what they went to college for. Yeah, that's you hear that a lot from people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I really just got lucky. They didn't know. They didn't really know what they were doing, and they didn't have a lot of money, so they wanted to hire somebody young that didn't need a lot of money. <laughs> and but it was good because I could turn the company into something. They just gave me free reign. Now, what were you doing? I was the merchandising manager. I was the yarn designer. I was the colorist. I was the sales manager i was i did all the graphic design i did everything there were like eight people so, wow. 
So, so it's like one-stop shopping. This young woman comes to them, writes a fine letter, they interview her and find out. And as I said, you know, it would probably take a lot less time for us to talk about what you don't do. So, <laughs> so for, for them to hire you and have basically everything they need from art department, marketing, I mean, whatever needs to happen, you can you can sell the yarn if they want, out of a backpack if they need you oh, to. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And it was fun because it was so hands-on. I had always had a Macintosh computer. But that's when they started to go into desktop publishing. Mm-hmm. So over the years, I worked with typesetters, you know, setting type and oh, yeah. closing type. And, yeah. and then it changed. And then I had to learn how to do it all. So I had to learn Adobe Illustrator and PageMaker and Quark Express and Photoshop. So, uh, you know, my skills just increased the longer I stayed there because just business changed. Sounds like you did a whole lot with the yarn company, but can you tell me a little bit about what goes into designing yarn? Because I think a lot of us are just completely mystified when it comes to... Oh, okay. Well, you have a, you kind of have a vision of what kind of yarn you want to add to the line because you have a, you have a group of yarns that, like a core group of yarns. And then each season, spring, summer, fall, winter, you look at where there's a hole and where you want to expand. And so then you think about the size that the yarn needs to be and what you want it to look like. And then you go to the different mills that you know make yarn, and you say to them, can you spin me a sample? And you tell them how many plies, which is how many ends, mm-hmm. if you want to have one, two, or three plies. And the, the combination, you know, it can be two-plied and then four-plied. Or it can be just a lumpy, bumpy single. In the beginning, I used to do a lot with mills in the United States, but they, by the end, they had pretty much, there was nobody to buy hand any yarn from. Wow. So I used to work a lot with mills in Peru because they're, they do beautiful hand, hand knitting yarns and Italy and Germany and France sometimes and England. So different mills make different things. So you go to them and you ask them, see if you can do this, and then you set up a color range with them, which I would design myself and send to them, and then they would match your colors, my colors, and then, you know, I would test the samples to see if it was what I wanted, and then we'd tweak it, you know. So when say, you say when you say test, are you talking about just get out your needles and start yeah, knitting with it? uh-huh. That and seems so fun. And then pass it around the office, and everybody has, everybody knits a few rows, and everybody gets, says, oh, it splits, or... I don't like it, it's too stiff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you go back to them and you, can, you say, turn the twist down, you know, don't, don't make it so tight or add a little bit more mohair, add a little more alpaca, and then you do a second sample. And um, that's how, it, you know, it's just, it's basically like baking a cake, but it's with yarn and a mill, a big mill. Is it still like that, the yarn design? Oh, yeah, yeah, except that, now what happens is a lot of the hand knitting yarns come from, come from come from Europe, and people go to these big shows. The big one is called Pity Filotti, and all the yarn spinners will go there, and they will they will have also already developed their yarn. Okay. And so then there's a little race for the different yarn companies to get there and commit to a yarn if they like it. <laughs> okay, so it's not so much coming from the yarn company as the design. No, the no. Really I mean, there's still that. people like, um, you know, I... I could step on toes here, but, um, you know, brown sheep, they do it all themselves. Okay. And jagger spun, which is out of Maine, they okay. do it all themselves. They still develop their yarn themselves. And, um, but then companies can also work with these European companies, or um, actually I, I think in the Orient it's going to start coming up too, to develop what they want. So, you know, it's, and then, then there's some knockoffs. You know, you, they take a yarn from one company, say, can you make it like this? And 
but do this and be, make it cheaper. Well, it's the nature of business. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. That's, that's fashion. You have a line of yarn of your own yep. mm-hmm. called Julia. Can you yep. tell us a little bit about that? It's mohair, alpaca, and wool, and it's made in Peru, and it's something that I developed with a mill that I knew there, and it's all, you know, it was spun to my specs in the beginning, and now, basically, what I do, it's sold by uh, Nashua, which is a division of Westminster Fibers, who also do the Rowan line. And so every season, I bring out colors. You know, I develop some more colors for them. And then, basically, I use it in all my books. And my knitwear design that's in magazines is usually out of the Julia. Yeah, well, I was looking at the color palette this morning, and it's just absolutely fabulous. It's yeah, it's really pretty, and it's I don't knit with anything else because the colors are so nice and so amazing to knit with. It's soft, but it's not too stretchy because alpaca can be real stretchy, but the alpaca gives it softness, and the mohair gives it this lovely luster, mm-hmm. almost like a halo effect, but it's not too fuzzy. You know, it still looks like a flat wool, and you can do cables with it, and you can do uh, amazing color work, so it's it's lovely. And so you, what, what year did you design that? Oh, boy, we're going back quite a few years ago. Um, it actually first started out as a retail-only yarn with a friend of mine that had a yarn store. And then now it's, it was picked up, I think, three or four years ago um, by Westminster. Okay. Nashua. So you've been doing this for a while. And... Yeah, I've been doing it for a while, but it's only been out there in the stores good um, the last two years. And then my book is all knit with it, so now it's people are looking for it a little bit more, and I think next year it'll be out there a little bit more. You know, because it's all a sales distribution thing Yeah. with yeah. yarn. You yeah. know, if the sales reps have to get it into the stores in order for people to see it. And that takes a little bit of time. It takes a long time. Yeah, well, yeah. was this a wonderful payoff for you after all these years of, you know, designing yarns for companies and not having your own name brand? Oh, I mean, I'm not... The Basically... I just want to have my right colors to, right, okay. to design with. That's so more what it's practical. all about for me. <laughs> yeah, it was just practical having your own. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful that you had the knowledge to be able to create that because I think a lot of times people are really kind of a slave to what they can find in the yarn shop because they yeah, don't have the yeah. connection and knowledge to, to do what you've done. So congratulations. And, you know, when I was at um, Classical Leap, I was doing all the colors I wanted so that I could design with them. But then when I stopped and I went freelance, I started looking at all the color card books from all the different companies and, and having to put the yarn into books, and the colors just were, they were awful. You know, they were, you know, there would be like a, a green, but it would be so off, it would just not be right to my eye. So it, it got so frustrating. So now I have the colors I want that really look great, and I can just combine them all well, and not have to use these colors that are off that I'm not completely happy with. Because, you know, it, it comes down to I have an artist's eye, and I want to use the colors the way I want to use them, almost like mixing paints together or something like that. And that's, I think, a great segue into kind of a broader description of of you and what you do. Because I think if people see your, your books, your knitting books, they might think, oh, she's a knitwear designer. Then they might go further down the row of uh, art and craft books in the bookstore and say, oh, She's actually into embroidery. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> and then they get on your blog or look at your web presence and realize, oh, actually, she can paint, too. <laughs> and then, oh, look, she does home furnishings and interior design. I mean, the pictures of your home are absolutely beautiful. And then there's ceramics and gardening. I mean, uh-huh. all these things that you do. Well, it's kind of a lifestyle. Yeah. A, a crafty, artistic lifestyle yeah. that I've 
worked out for myself. Well, and I think it's wonderful that it's overflowed into every aspect of your life because I think sometimes people say, you know, if you just picked one thing, I know this is a problem I have where I don't have an interest in just knitting or uh -huh. just weaving or just crocheting or quilting. I'm into all of it. And I think that's just so fun. It's a great way to live. How do you describe yourself in gen just general artist or? On my business card, it says designer, author. Designer, so, author. Yeah, okay. because... You know, I can design anything. Give me a plate, I can, I can make it into something. And when I first started out, I didn't have that confidence nor feeling. But over the years, I just figured, well, I can be an artist. You know, when I went to school, people were these conceptual artists, and you know, they were very snotty about being an artist versus somebody that was in into textiles was always considered the low art. And I realized over the years that, hey, I've taken my art. And I've made, uh, made a living off of it versus a lot of people that are artists that can't sell anything. Oh, yeah. There are, I think there are a lot of conceptual artists out there with paintings they put hours into that if someone's not feeling it for your work when they walk past it in the gallery, it's not going to sell. And what you've been able to do is take an artistic approach to everything you've done. And you're selling yarn, you're selling books, you're designing knitwear patterns. I mean, it's something that you've built a whole career. And it's so wonderful to see. Yeah, and it's fun because I can keep doing this for my entire life. Exactly. You know, it's, I can keep going till I'm 70 or 80, keep making something. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you enjoy it enough that you would want to do that. You're not looking to, oh, you know, in just a couple more years I can retire. You know, I mean, that's oh, not geez, the mindset. No, I can't imagine yeah. that. You know, it's, neither my husband or I, we have a sheep farm and we have other animals and we, we look at each other and we think, well, we're never really going to retire. We're always <laughs> going to be doing this. And, yeah. You know, as, as long as we can. Well, tell me a little bit about your farm. Uh, we have a, let's see, it's a, house that was built in 1751 and it's in an abandoned apple orchard and so there's these trees that still bear that we we don't prune or anything but we pick the apples but we've had sheep since 1979 we started with four and now we have um let's see we're almost 30 years into it and we've got 150 ewes wow and right now we've probably got about 150 babies lambs that have been born in the last month wow whoa in the last month yeah they're little i mean some of them are bigger but wow you know, like i'm surprised you even day. have time to talk to me right now <laughs> my goodness well that's more my husband's thing i mean i help when there's emergencies but it's that's definitely his thing wow i had two babies within 18 months and i thought i was but 150 even animal babies. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, That's it's, a it's lot. It's a ton of work. You know, it's always feed, it's feeding and cleaning and feeding again and watering. And but that must be so fun, though, and that must be so precious to see these little babies. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're great. Once in a while, we'll get to witness the birth. You can tell when the user are in labor. And so we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and she wasn't having it. So my daughter was with us, who's nine. So finally... It was getting dark, and <laughs> we Mark said, I, I think I should pull it. So we were able to watch him, you know, tie it to the wall and then pull the lamb out, which came out in seconds. And so she got to see the whole thing. So she knows where babies come from. Yeah, well, that, I guess that saves you on some explanation then, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, the, the pharmacist with the whole sex education thing, you know. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I might be coming down to visit with my daughters <laughs> in a few years. <laughs> I figure if I can use draw from, like, the fiber art background to help ease mom into the whole conversation, perhaps uh, yeah. I'll consult with you on that later. <laughs> you have photos of your farmhouse on your blog. And, I mean, just awesome what you've done with color in your house. Oh, thanks. It must be such an inspiring place to work and, and design. I mean, it's wonderful. Tell me a little bit about the transformation. We bought it, and it had good bones. You could tell that. 
but it was totally not to my taste, and it was to somebody else's taste. And every time I, I've only lived actually in three houses, but every time you buy it, you just change it to make it yours. Right. So, but my last house, I did a lot of decorative painting on the walls, mm-hmm. and I hated to leave it, <laughs> but wanted to move from Easter Mass. So I looked at it and just started thinking about what I could do with it. So I did it over a period of, I think, three or four years and just took each room one at a time and decided on the colors. You know, because after you live in the house for a while, you know how the light is mm-hmm. and you you know, well, at least I know which colors to use where, which will work, you know, if it's too dark or too light and which ones get the northern light, the southern light. And so... Um, I think I started with dining room, which is the most, well, after we got all the restoration and, you know, knocking down walls done, but I think the dining room, which is the one that's got the orange painted vines all over Mm -hmm. it, it's orange walls with painted vines. I started with that, and I just thought, um, when I was little, my mom had a a wallpaper that I loved, and it had, um, it it was covered with vines, and it had birds and squirrels and all these wacky things on it. I think it was like... It was probably some expensive French wallpaper, but um, <laughs> I couldn't afford that. So, and I wanted to be a little bit more overscaled. Mm-hmm. So I I painted a base of orange, but it, in order to get the right orange, I think I had twelve different coats of different colors on it. I just kept oh, wow. layering colors, and then I just took a magic marker, a sharpie, and I just drew some vines on, and that was it. I I drew some little leaves and things in the in a little sketchbook, and then. Just mix, mixed a bunch of colors of acrylic paint. I, yeah, it was all acry- latex, and latex walls with acrylic on top, and then I just put all this stuff all over the walls, and I, I think it's great the way it turned out. It's really fun. I love to eat in there, and half the time it's my shipping room. But <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're a brave artist because for me, the thought of going from twelve coats of paint to get to the right color I wanted, I would never ever have the courage to take a sharpie to my wall, oh. <laughs> <laughs> unless there was like some serious pencil lines. But, but, <laughs> underneath because seriously I'd be like okay it took me 12 coats I am not about to put a sharpie on here of course I can't draw to save my life no but see that's where you're wrong you can draw well I can but I'd say my my drawings are very abstract I uh-huh. would say <laughs> yeah but that's okay because yeah. you can turn that into art you know that I, I used to think I couldn't draw and because I didn't go to school for it and I you know I, I never took art classes when I was a kid and then as I got older and you know, was doing this whole textile thing. I I went on vacation to a friend's house up in Maine, and there, she had two friends there, and they were official artists. That's how they made their living. Mm-hmm. And they knew what I did, and they said, Kristen, sit down here and just do a painting. And I was like, I can't do that. And her name's Yolo. Uh, Yolo said, Yes, you can. So, and George said, Yes, you can. So I sat down, and we had a we did a still life of a salmon that we had bought that we were going to eat for supper, and it turned out great. And they were sitting there. Oh, my God, you haven't ever painted before. <laughs> so then when they were saying this, I was like, oh, I guess I can. So, you know, my feeling is just go for it. You have, Everybody develops their own style. And if you think you can only do abstract stuff, well, then make abstract your style and paint a whole room abstractly. It, it turns into something, and you just keep working on it and get better and better and better. I think that is great advice because when I hear people say things like, oh, I, I can't be creative, I jump on them like, oh, everyone's creative. And then in the same time, I'll, I'll be like five minutes later, I'll be like, oh, but I can't draw, you know, which is kind of ridiculous. I think you're right. I mean, you really do have to just kind of try some things and figure out what you can do and just really run with that, you know. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about what's going on now with the people that are younger that are knitting or, or stitching or whatever 
is they really didn't have any training. Like there was never sewing in school. Right, for, for right. For people, for people, I think, am I correct? In their no, 20s? you're you're totally correct. I'm 31, and okay. a lot of the women my age. I mean, I had the benefit. My mother did sew and crochet, and uh, did a little knitting. So she was able to help me with some of these things. Where a lot of young women, you know, maybe their moms weren't into. Maybe their grandma was, but their mom wasn't. So right. they're not learning directly in many cases from somebody in their family. They're learning from books that people like you are writing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's a whole different approach. When I was in, in school learning how to sew, I had a, a teacher who was, she was trained in, in Paris as a couturier. Oh, wow. So okay. I learned all these couturier techniques. But there were always rules that you had to follow and you had to do everything perfectly. And I think now, because... People don't have anybody saying that, oh, that's wrong. They can do things with wild abandon, and it's much more fun way to do things. And, I mean, that's how I do things now. I went to, a like, a knitting thing the other night, and uh, the lady, I was helping somebody with Fair Isle, teaching them how to do it. And I said, well, you know, this is what you do. And, oh, but don't you have to do this and this and this? I said, just do it. You know, don't worry about the rules. And see what, it doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to worry about if everything's perfect. The idea is to do it to learn how to do it and then better your skills as you go along. But you also, not everything has, has to ever be perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad we live in a time where I can hear someone say wild abandon and knitting in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, who would have ever thought that was going to happen, you know? <laughs> and I know you made reference to, in the 80s, you said that, that knitting, that was like the last time it really peaked. Yeah. How does it compare, though, to what's going on right now? Um, is this more? Is it more popular now than it was in the eighties? Oh 80s? yeah, it's way more popular now. And in the eighties, the thing I remember is okay. We're talking nineteen eighty two, eighty three, eighty four. They were selling all these French yarns, which now the French mills, most of them, have gone out of business. But they would be like fifteen to twenty dollar balls of yarn for fifty grams. Wow. And so people were into the eighties. Was a lot of you know there was a lot of consumption, and people like to spend a lot of money. So people would buy this really expensive yarn and kind of show off that, oh, yeah, I bought this yarn and it's $16 a ball and it cost me $400 to buy the yarn for the sweater. <laughs> and I don't think, it's not like that now. You know, people are, they're into the fibers, but they're more into what they make. And there's little segments of knitting. You know, there's the people that follow the Elizabeth Zimmerman thing. And then there's the people that are doing the socks. And there's the people that are doing the scarves. And there's people that, do, that are doing cables. And it's gone a little bit more into technique than it, as, as people are exploring more, they realize that there's all these techniques they can learn. And they get, you know, they get really good at something. And then hopefully they move on. But some people are just happy to knit socks. Right. For the years. Right. Right, that's true. I mean, people seem to um, find their thing and, and, and stick to it. And then there's people like me who can't seem to find just one thing and do everything. So um, Yeah, well, that's, to me, that's more fun. Yeah, I would be absolutely bored just making socks. Just yeah. that's, I mean, because I'm just, my attention span, I guess, is maybe it's ADHD. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, just think I, that you're more inquisitive. I'd like to kind of get a sense for how you divide your time because obviously you're you're not just knitting and designing yarns and picking great color palettes for your yarn. You're also doing embroidery and Yeah, um, you other know artwork. what happens with me is I will get an idea for a project and, you know, it'll be like a whole book project. So then I have to write the book proposal and I have to try to find somebody that'll publish it. And once it, the book proposal will get accepted, then I just delve deeply into that one thing for a long period of time because I've got to get this 
whole project done. So when I was doing kids embroidery, I was doing a lot of embroidery and working with kids to test it. And then I did, um, I had so much fun doing that that I wanted to do an interiors embroidery book, Mm -hmm. and that's colorful stitchery. So I was stitching like mad. I think there's 65 projects in there. I made almost every single one of them myself. And And that's a lot of projects for one, but when I saw that on the cover, I'm like, 65? No kidding. I mean, that is... That is a lot of projects. So for just nineteen ninety five. Yeah, no, no, that book is such a bargain. <laughs> I was like sixty five. I'm thinking, man, that I mean, did, when you did your proposal, did you say you were going to do sixty five projects, or did no, it just turn I, into that? No, I, I basically just said I was going to do this interiors book, and I gave him a few ideas of what I wanted to do. But then I got into it, and I just kept going. <laughs> and then it was, it was a matter of whether they were all going to fit and how to make them fit. You know, that's the big thing with a book is how long are the instructions and if it's going to fit, and then what do you cut? Right. So um, pretty much only two things got cut in there, which was pretty good. Really? So it was almost 67 projects? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and and, and not to scare people at home. I mean, this is, I mean, it's not an overly, it's not like a phone book size book. You know, there's 200 plus pages, but it's completely manageable, and you can actually fit it into your bag with your embroidery. It's, It's fabulous, and I found a little gem. Well, there's plenty of gems in here. I mean, 65 projects, but... On page 121, I love the little note you have in here about friendship cloth. Oh, that, that is was a delightful awesome. idea because, and basically, why don't you tell people what that is? Okay, I went to a book signing for kids embroidery down at this store in Dedham, Massachusetts called The Blue Bunny, and it's owned by a man named Peter Reynolds and his family. Peter Reynolds is a world-famous illustrator, kids' book illustrator. He's illustrated all the Judy Moody books, and he's done a book called Ish and Dot, The Dot, Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, oh, my gosh, I read that to my daughter, and oh, I love that awesome book. Oh, it's an awesome book. Yeah, and his brother is in business with him, and they have, you know, they have quite a production company where they do videos, teaching videos. And so they started this store, and my sister lives there, so she hooked me up with the woman that runs the store, and we did a little book signing. And when I was sitting there talking to her, she says, oh, you know, you might be interested in something I have. So she told me that her great-aunt taught her uh, had this cloth that she put on every time she had a dinner party. And she lived in New York City, and she, I guess she was rather swanky. And she would give each person that came to the dinner party a pencil, and they would sign their name. And then after they left that week, she would stitch over their signature. So she had a record of all the dinner parties on this one cloth. Which is a fabulous idea. Yeah, but- and so so uh, Janet, it was Janet Reynolds, and... Uh, I can't. I think Paul is her husband. She started doing that. So the picture in the book is actually their cloth. They sent it to me, and unfortunately, it got it was very small. It made got made very small because we ran out of room. Oh, but yeah. it has all. If you look, it has all these famous illustrators' signatures on there that she then stitched over because they're friends with all these people. Right. Somebody drew a car. Well, the thing about it is, I've always I don't have a whole lot of dinner parties. In fact, I haven't had I haven't had a single dinner party. But I've always planned to have. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have a real. I, in fact, that's one on my list of things to do this year. I want to have a dinner party. Uh huh. I am definitely getting a nice cloth. What kind of cloth do you recommend she for this just, type of um, purpose? She bought like a, a linen blend, just okay. a regular tablecloth. Okay. Yeah, because I totally want to do this. Yeah, you just want to have the. You don't want it to be too much of a fine weave because then it's hard to stitch through. Mm-hmm. 
So just look for something that's a little bit coarser. And now, have you tried this yourself? I mean, have you started to do this? No, because I'm not, I don't really have very many dinner parties either. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I think my dinner party is going to be, people, well, they'll know if they listen to this, but my real motivation is to get my tablecloth started. <laughs> oh, but, that's um, good. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, because I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not somebody who has a whole lot of time to uh, clean my house. And I'd also have to learn to cook something fabulous, too. Before yeah, this, so. see, that's the problem. I yeah. will have a dinner party unless my house is clean and it's never clean. So it might end up me inviting some friends over for Chinese and say, oh, we're going to put a really nice tablecloth on, and would you indulge me, please, by signing? Um, yeah. And I know she, you're, the, in the description you said the person used pencil, but you'd recommend the disappearing or the washable yeah, ink. Yeah, the washable or... ink. And then the other thing that I've discovered, which is really cool, is you can use Sharpies on any of this stuff, oh, fine-point wow. Sharpie. Now, shar- that kind of scares me, the Sharpie thing, a little bit. But, um... but a fine-point Sharpie, if somebody okay. signs their name, and then you stitch over it, the Sharpie isn't going to wash out. And you cover up the black, you know, whatever color Sharpie you used. Oh, yeah, okay. And and you don't have to worry about it running. Right. So, I mean, you can also use pencil, which works because the pencil will just rub out. And those disappearing markers are fabulous, those blue ones. But you just don't want the signature to disappear before yeah, you get the stitching you done. Stitch over. Otherwise, you're going to have to have another dinner party. Right. <laughs> <laughs> More Chinese food for me. Yeah. And then the other thing with the disappearing markers is if you get it wet or if it's humid, It'll uh, disappear on you. Yeah, and so then you it's might better have, if you use something. You might have half of someone's signature. Yeah, and then, right. Uh, and Sally comes. <laughs> Sally comes back over, and you put the tablecloth on, and you're like, "That's." She's like, "That's not my signature," or, or "I didn't write." I loved what you made this evening for the food. You know, <laughs> what do you do? Well, I had to it disappeared, so I kind of took some liberties. Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, so sharpie might be the way to go. That way, yeah. everything's honest, and no one's endorsing a president they might not have endorsed on your tablecloth. <laughs> Yeah, I can see where that could maybe be the, the last, first and last dinner party. <laughs> I love what you've done here because they're a little, like that little tidbit, you know, and it was several pages in. I mean, that was on page 121. I was also pleased about the, the aprons. You talked about aprons in here, too. Uh, the gingham aprons. Oh, those cool gingham aprons, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you know at all that I am basically just obsessed with aprons. And, oh, okay, um, I didn't realize that. Well, okay. which is kind of unexplainable even to me because... Um, I was totally like in high school, if someone had said, Jennifer, in a matter of years, you're going to be apron crazy, I would have said, oh, get out of here. That is so ridiculous. It's so June Cleaver, and I am anything but, right? Well, I just love aprons. I think so do you wear cool. them every day? I wear aprons. I actually wear aprons out. When I, like, I'll put on a dress, and if it matches, I'll, uh-huh. I'll wear it. I wear usually half aprons. I love the fact that it's a symbol that a lot of people are kind of uncomfortable with because there might be women who are like, you know what, it's kind of this domestic, uh, very domestic, very June Cleaver type of of look. And I think for a lot of people what that represents is something they don't like. And I certainly am the last person that would want someone to say, hey, put this apron on and go make me some food. I would be like not moving out of my chair. I don't respond Uh to that kind of stuff. However, Uh I do think it's fun to take a symbol that people associate with domestic subservience and kind Uh of turning it into something that kind of doing my own thing with it as far as, you know, wearing it wherever I want. Well, it's a fashion symbol. I mean, it's it, you can turn it into that depending on what you make it out of and yeah. you can do really fun things with it. So that's kind of what, where I'm coming from with it. But I did really enjoy the reference to aprons. Did you see the pictures in the book of the cross-stitch ones? Yeah, I really th- think it's great what you've done in this book. And what are you hoping that people uh, come away from colorful stitchery with? What, what was your main objective? Um, well, you know, I have all those projects in there, but what I want people to come away with is, oh, I can do this myself. I can take something, a motif that I really like, like a frog or a, a turtle, and I'm crazy over them, and I can draw one of these on a piece of fabric, and I can stitch it and make it into this beautiful piece of 
stitchery and make a pillow out of it or a picture or something. I just want people to find their own way with it. And I hope that I gave enough stuff in there on how to to, to really figure that out for themselves. Because for me as a designer, even with my knits, it's more uh, fulfilling for me is if I see it, oh, I used this book, but this is what I did to it to make it my own. Because mm -hmm. that's what I think this all, all is about. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you're showing people, too, how they can stitch a motif on you know, a plaid fabric or a um, striped fabric. It's not, I think a lot of times people think embroidery immediately, I think the initial thought is, okay, I need something plain or something white. Right, and something then, white and plain, and stitch and, uh, and stitch on that. And yeah. what you've done, I mean, while that's well, that's totally fine. And you can make some beautiful things on white fabric that's plain. However, I think it's really just excellent to be able to see a book that shows so many examples of taking fabrics that a lot of people would think, oh, this is I can sew a pillow out of this and then it's done, and that you could do that. But to be able to take it to up a notch and put an interesting motif that you've stitched on top of that really adds so much to the yeah, design. Well, for me, it's pattern on pattern. I yeah. love mixing everything all up in my house. I've got patterns all over. And so why not take a pillow and take a fabric that's, that's like on the cover. There's that beautiful plaid fabric. Yeah, that's what I'm actually looking at right now. Yeah, yeah and then I put the flowers all over it. and um, it's, it's, it's totally over the top, but it's a lot of fun. If you can get people to, to try that, I think they become addicted to it. Oh, yeah. Did you see the striped dish towels? That I, I did. turn into I pillows. Did. You just take striped dish towels, or you can take checked. And then I took uh, different stitches and put them down to the center of the stripes in different colors. So you end up with something stitched on a plain two-dollar dish towel. And then I turned them into pillows. They're really neat looking. They're so pretty, they're, and they're really fun to do. And they, you know, most of the stuff in that book does not take more than two nights to make. Mm -hmm. And Which is that's excellent. the thing that I find so fulfilling about embroidery is in two nights you can be done. Mm -hmm. Whereas knitting a sweater, you could take months. That's the cool part of embroidery. The supplies are cheap. You need a needle, you need some embroidery floss, or if you're going to work with wool or whatever you're going to stitch with, it's so much cheaper. And yeah, you can... and it's, it's a little bit more creative and artistic mm -hmm. than knitting because there's, there's not the rules of the stitches and dropping the stitches right, and, right. and twisting the stitches and all that kind of stuff. You, you know, you can, anybody can do it. If, they have to want to, though. You know? Of course. Of course, and you have to also want, um, and you have the freedom to draw your own design too. Where if you're following a, a knitting pattern to make a sweater, you're very, it's very logical and likely that a person starting out is going to be following that pattern very closely. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of freedom in embroidery. Yeah, but it sounds like you love both. Oh, I do. You know, and I, I also crochet. I haven't explored crochet as much as designing, but I've been right now making a granny square afghan. Those are so fun. Oh, they're so much fun. I can't wait to finish it, but it'll probably take me about seven years. <laughs> or maybe 20 years. Who knows? <laughs> and are you making this out of your yarn? Yeah, it's all the little leftover bits that come back from knitters. Because what I do is I, when I design my knitwear, I figure it all out myself ahead of time. So I design a swatch, a small, like, four to eight-inch swatch. So I work all the colors out and all the patterns, and then I write the instructions up, and I send them out to sample knitters. Okay. You know, because I would never get it all done. The granny square afghan is fun because you can try out different color combinations on these little squares. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's, a, it's really fun. Do you have one daughter? I just have one daughter. She's nine. Okay. Yeah. Now, she must be in absolute craft heaven. Yeah, she's not really very interested in it, though. Oh, give her time. Because I just can't imagine, like, if my mom would have had all the yarn you have and, like, her own line of yarn. I mean, that would have been, like, heaven. Heaven, you know. Um. Well, we went to a bookstore the other day, and I, it, we, she always wants to look at the kids' books. So I go and get the, the knitting or the 
sewing or whatever's books, and I bring them to the kids' department and look. So we got there last week, and uh, somebody saw me, and they knew who I was, and they started talking to me. And poor Julia sat down in a chair, and she just waited <laughs> for it to be over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because obviously you're you're probably just mom to her. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's a yeah, whole it's different just that thing. I happen to do this, and you happen. To, this is your job, right? Does she ever look at kids' embroidery, which might be in the kids' department, where she's looking at books? Uh, yeah, she, she's just not. You know, I'm not even gonna push her there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If she wants to, she wants to. Yeah, you she know, wants and that's... to be a movie producer right now. Oh well, actually, that's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. and it's pretty creative. So. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> and you know, and that's the thing too is that my girls, uh, Abby is three, and she's shown some mild interest. Like she said to me the other day, she's like, "Mom, I just think I have to knit right now." Now she doesn't know how to knit, uh-huh. but she's heard me say. Man, I just need to knit for a few minutes, you know. Oh, um, so she cute? says that, and I have no idea. And I said to my husband, of course, every time she says this, it's like my heart skips a beat. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, is she really? Because I'm envisioning, like, when we're, she's older and we're sitting on the front porch and her little <laughs> sister Amelia joins us and we can be in rocking chairs, like, knitting. And I'm thinking, okay, when I was 18, if I would have fantasized about sitting in a rocking chair knitting, <laughs> I would have slapped myself in the face. But <laughs> Abby said, can we, can I crochet? Now, she doesn't know how to crochet either, uh-huh. but she'll pick up the hook. I have a giant hook and she'll uh-huh. kind of sit there and just twist yarn around it uh-huh. and and I just thinking okay anytime she asks to do this stuff I'm gonna let her but I keeps telling my husband I'm like I think there's gonna come a point where she just won't want any part of it anymore so I act as if it's not a big deal when she says can I you know ha- play with some yarn or something but I am so happy when she oh does yeah this. yeah underneath it all you're like beaming <laughs> yes but I have a feeling though I, I am kind of preparing myself for the point when she's not going to want to do anything that I'm interested in I mean because that very well could happen and yeah. I and I want I think your approach to parenthood is is wonderful too because you're not pushing it saying you must do this you know oh, God, no, because that's the worst thing that ever is totally the worst and the, yeah. I, I know a lot of people that especially like the, the people that are learning to to sew or stitch or something they might remember their mother doing it but they never would have wanted to do it and they never wanted to learn it but right. now they remember it and they think oh i think i'll try that right you right know, it's it's amazing so the hope that she could always come back to it and i know that's what's going to be keeping me going <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the period yeah. when they want no, no part of it because I, yeah. I, I know that's realistic and that's yeah. probably what will happen but you know for you it's like it's so nice to have friends that do it and oh, yeah. you know it's like a whole community that i think is the fun part of the whole thing that's going on now is the community of knitters or crocheters or stitchers or sewers, and it because of the blogs and because of the groups that uh, you know happen in different coffee shops, it's different than it used to be. It's not in the closet. It's nothing that people are doing by themselves. And right. I think that's really appealing to people. Do you think that's one of the biggest differences? Because when there was the surge in interest in the 80s, there were no blogs or anything. I mean, there no were blogs and really no groups. You would go to the yarn store and you might knit in the yarn store, but you, you know, you would maybe stay for an hour and leave. And then you go home and make your own project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's different than that now. So do, do you think? I know a lot of these things are kind of go through cycles. You know, where there's things that are really just like fashion, where things yep. are. You know, people are wearing like you know bell bottoms, and they go out of style, and then everyone's wearing the skin tight stretch pants. You know, and then those go out of style. You know, right. and it's like so these things come and go, and some of the styles we hope would just go forever, but you know, <laughs> but with yeah. kni- with knitting and, and and the arts and the, and the needlework and all, that, I mean, it's such it's such a high interest level right now, and and with the blogs and because this is all different and you have that community support, do you think that it will sustain itself at the high level of interest that it's well, at right now? Well, I, I mean, from a business point of view, I know that the yarn companies are, have experienced a downturn. Really? Already? Yeah, yeah. It, but it was too totally crazy before because everybody was, all kinds of people were making scarves. 
and the fun for scarves. Fun I know. for scarves, and then they got tired of it and they didn't move on, and so things were, are not as crazy as they were. But there's still this huge level of interest by people that have learned, and they aren't stopping. I mean, I I think that the internet is really fueling a lot of it, mm-hmm. and I mean that's basically why I started a blog, because I I wanted to be part of it, and I you know I had quit my job and I started freelancing, and I, I didn't even, you know, a lot of people don't know who I am and how long a career I've had. And so I thought, well, if I start a blog and it, people start reading it, then when my book comes out, it'll, it'll help it sell. And so I started the blog about oh, almost three years ago now, knowing that I had this book coming out. And, it, you know, it's worked, but then on the other hand, it's been such a lovely part of my life now mm-hmm. that, and my husband just thinks it's hysterical. He really likes, you know, the stuff. And I've turned it, my blog more into a lifestyle blog, so I really, really don't knit, um, talk about knitting very much, but I talk about other stuff that we're doing on our farm. And it's great because I've met people from all over the world that, that read it, and it's so much fun. This past summer, I had a lady come with her entire family. She reads my blog, and we met up and went out to dinner, and, you know, she was from England. Wow. It was great. Yeah, isn't that cool? It is so cool. It's it's really, really nice. Yeah, and I think that that's what um, really makes people seem more human. You know, it's like you, you might pick up someone's book and you know, okay, this person wrote the book. These are their designs in the book, but you don't know anything else really about them. And uh-huh. because you have a blog, people can know about what's going on in your farm, the fact yep. that you guys have like 150 little little babies on yep. your farm right now. You know, I mean, that really kind of makes a person just come to life. It's got to be really cool. I know the people I've connected with, through the internet, it's really changed my life in ways I didn't imagine, you know. Yeah, and when you start, you don't really know what's going to happen, and then all of a sudden this happens. And I'm kind of using it as a, a forum also for agriculture um, because, you know, that's what we do, and telling about people about raising animals and, you know, a little bit along the vein of Barbara Kingsolver's new book, mm-hmm. Animal Vegetable Miracle, mm-hmm. and um, Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. And I, so I can talk about raising these animals and and eating the animals and people don't want to hear that or see that but but it's it's where your meat comes from if, if you're not a vegetarian it doesn't come from saran wrap so it's really interesting that you're covering a lot of different things in your blog we're kind of winding our way still to, toward your, your latest book here how many books um, do you have out now i've done seven books okay and i know that you've done some where you've been co-author you've also been an illustrator right what was your first book my first book um happened kind of it was because I had a, my book came out, my first book, Knitting the New Classics, because I had my job. <laughs> and so Lark, uh, which is out of North Carolina, um, they came to me when I was working at the yarn company, and they said, do you guys have a collection of patterns that you can put into a book and we'll make a knitting book? And it was in the early 90s. So I had to put the whole collection of patterns together and, you know, pick out the film and send it off. It was before... Macintoshes we even happened, so they had to do all the typesetting. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was my first book. And it was, if you can believe this, when that book came out, it was the only knitting book to come out in the fall. Wow. So it sold like crazy because there were no knitting books. Publishers weren't doing them. Right, wow. And it's still in print, and I think it's sold more than 100,000 copies, which is pretty good, but, you know, it's been out for a while. And so then we did a follow-up book, which was more patterns. And then I met a woman named Melanie Fallick. Yep, I've interviewed her. Okay, yep. Fabulous. And 
So she was doing a book called Knitting in America, and she heard about me, and she wanted me to be one of the chapters or whatever. So I met her at a trade show, and then you know, she said, you have to do this sweater that will be in the book, and I'll do an interview, and then we'll come to your house and take pictures and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's how I met Melanie and got involved with her. And then we became good friends, and, you know, we had always kind of talked about what needs to be done for knitting, and we talked about a kid's knitting book. So I was working, and she had all the publishing connections, so she proposed that kid's knitting book. Mm -hmm. And then she asked me if I would do the illustrations for it. So I did those for her, those, you know, those colorful, have you ever seen that Yeah, I have the book. Yeah, that book has been part of my collection for a long time. It's a lovely illustrated book. Yeah, it's really great. And so that book did really good. And then next I did with her, Knitting for Baby. Mm-hmm. I have that one, too, in my okay, private collection. Okay, and now collection. that's coming out in paperback. Yep. So we co-authored. We worked on it together. She was, at that point, she was the editor-in-chief of Interweave Knits. Mm-hmm. So, and I was, I think I had just quit working at Classical Elite. So I designed all the sweaters in there, and we worked on it as a group. And then she took all my patterns and just put them in, in an order. You know, we kind of did it so that it would all make sense as a learning book, so you could start at the beginning and keep increasing your skills. Mm-hmm. And um, then she quit the interweave job, and she went as the editor-in-chief at... Yeah, SCC, and yeah. so then she... I was the first book that she edited, which was Kids Embroidery at STC. Oh, that was her very first book that she edited. Yeah, yeah. So I did that, and then... Um, then after that, I did the Colorful Stitchery book, and I did it with a, actually people that are local up here, Story, which is a division of workmen, mm-hmm. and they did the Colorful Stitchery, and then uh, they just did the Kristen Knits also, and now I'm working on a book for uh, Soho, which is the people that uh, publish Sixth and Spring, they publish Vogue Knitting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my, my next book will be coming out, okay. and that'll and be, you... I think, fall of 2009. And what is that book about? It's another, um, it's a book on color, knitting in color. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And, and that, this is a great transition into Christian Knits um, because one of the things, and this is 27 Inspired Designs for Playing with Color, and I think this is gr- a great book for those who already feel pretty brazen with color and love color, but also those who maybe are the, the people who, and you know who you are, if you pick up a <laughs> pattern and you look, at the col- you look for the exact color, exact dye lot, of the yarn used in the pattern. And that's great if you love it, if you absolutely love the sweater and the, the pink that's shown. Yep. Make it that way. However, what you, I think, are trying to inspire people to do is kind of step outside the bounds a little bit, explore color, and, and really find out what colors you love and what you respond to. And you give people some great just tips about how to go about doing that. And what do you hope people come away with, with um, your latest from your latest book? Well, I my latest book? Yeah. The way I... I arranged it is if if you see each chapter there's a chapter on five socks and they're all different colors but they get harder and harder and harder Mm -hmm. as it goes along Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of techniques in there and after I did the embroidery book and it got out there I thought knitters would buy it but I was totally totally wrong knitters didn't buy it they just wanted to knit and to me it's really fun to combine embroidery with knitting. So most of the projects in, in Kristen Knits have embroidery on top of them. Mm-hmm, which so I figure, is so if those knitters cool. aren't going to embroider, I'm going to get them somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think you, this might be the, the, the best way to do it because 
Um, I, I think if you just look at some simple, very simple embroidery techniques that really take the project up a oh, notch yeah. that you just wouldn't think, you know. So when the knitting's done, the project doesn't have to be over with. Right, you, know? you just add, it's, it's all embellishing, just adding a little bit more. I mean, there's a pair of fingerless gloves in there that I know people are making because I've heard from people. And it, but it's so funny, I've seen things on blogs that, oh, I made them and these are so cute, but I can't do the embroidery yet. I have to wait till I'm brave enough. And, and if they just sat down and did it and maybe practiced on a swatch, they'd realize that it was not hard. No, are you ta you're talking about the ones, the flower ones, the yeah. Ones, yeah, on page 106? Those yeah. are so cool. Yeah, they're so cute. They're just, you know, they're, they're happy. And it takes, I mean, it takes a night, to, less than a night to add that stuff to it. Yeah. And yeah. it turns into something else. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It, it really takes it up a notch. And they're cute without it, so I can see where people would be satisfied without yeah, uh -huh. the embroidery. However, you need the flowers to have the fingerless flower gloves, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they're just fingerless gloves, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> you know? But, no, I think that what you're going for here, it might take people a while. you got to give us a chance to catch up okay, with you. Okay, all you know? right. And I don't know that we'd ever catch up with you, but, you know, you have to give us a, a, a little chance here. And the socks are really fun, too. Are you wearing colorful socks right now? Oh. I have black socks on. Oh, but are, did you embroider on them? <laughs> no, when no. they're not even handed. <laughs> now, how much, I'm curious about, uh, since I don't, I mean, we're not doing this interview in person, but do you find that you wear a lot of bright colors and that you, or is it more like your house is bright and your My knitting's bright? My house is bright, although it's white on the outside, so it's fun because it's totally white and boring on the outside. It's like a classic New England cape, but then you walk in and it's just, Somebody said, oh, it's like going into the Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so it's a little surprising for people. You yeah, know, and I wear, personally, I wear a lot of black, but I wear a lot of accessories that are colorful. I see, okay. And, you know, like scarves and hats and mittens. And um, I just, I mean, I just wear usually one color sweaters because that's what I have. And um, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of stuff that I knit that I wear myself because I'm always working on a project for a book mm -hmm. or a magazine. And... So I don't get to keep things. Oh, yeah. So they, they like, go away into the Netherland. And um, Julia, on the other hand, has a lot of hand-knit sweaters because they're small, they're easy to do, and I actually have one really good friend that loves to make her sweaters. So she usually has a hand-knit sweater on. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. and she's always got hand-knit mittens and scarves and hats and, and all that kind of stuff. So what, what little project are you working on now? Do you get to ever sneak in projects in uh, Oh, I'm making Julia a sweater. It's actually a derivation of one of the, swe the sweater that's in the book that's the garter stitch stripes. Okay. a little girl. Okay, yeah. And I'm making her that, but I've added a third color, and probably I'm going to be adding a fourth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So you, yeah. So, yeah, so she's um, going to be no stranger to color, you know. No, her, she likes it, too. Yeah. She, she And it's funny. I think that the, the hand-knit sweater is really... She's worn them ever since she was little, you know, really small, and they make her feel secure for, for some reason. I, I think, you know, the whole thing about stitching with love and all that stuff. But I, it, she loves to wear the hand-knit sweaters. They, they just feel good. Well, that's great because a lot yeah. of kids are not as blessed to have that many hand-knit sweaters, if any, at all. So that's oh, I know. Really... It, but it was when I was pregnant with her, um, I was at a trade show the National Needlework Show, and they, all the people in the industry had a shower for me. Oh, wow. At, at a breakfast shower. And, you know, most people gave me something hand-knit. 
so she came out and she had like 30 sweaters oh she, my goodness came out. i still ha- I, I didn't get rid of any of them oh that's gonna and that's gonna be great to pass on to her yeah oh yeah. my goodness yeah it was really it was really great you know and you can do little baby sweaters they're they're totally manageable oh yeah yeah but the bigger the kids get you know the it, it takes longer to get them done. Right, and then you're cringing as they dump yogurt or something on yeah, the nice yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't cringe. I just wash it and yeah. don't worry about it. It sounds like you have a, just a very creative lifestyle and you're just looking for ideas all the time. I, I am curious about what inspires you as a designer and artist. Well, you know, it's back to the pattern thing, the, the prints, old fabrics. I have a lot of Indian fabrics and embroidered fabrics from different parts of the world that I just keep around the house that are totally inspiring all the time. You know, I just like looking at the stuff. I've got a lot of, um, per- well, like Persian flat weave rugs and, and tough, what do you call them, um, you know, regular Persian carpets with mm-hmm. a pile. And um, I'm just looking around my living room. Um, my walls, you know, they're all painted, and there's, there's paintings and antique prints on the walls and stuff I've made, and I've got a lot of antique pottery that I just like being surrounded by all this stuff. Now, you also make pottery as well. Yeah, I, I haven't done it since Julia was born because I, when you when you make pottery, you need a, like a dirty studio. Yeah, that's and true. And unfortunately, I don't have a place at this house to be a dirty studio because my studio has got my computer in it and all my fabrics for the books that I'm working on. So I haven't been able to make it lately. And uh, but I did do it for quite a few years, and I sold it at craft sales, and it was it was really fun. But I have this problem: I'll get into a craft, and then I turn it into a business, <laughs> and then it becomes work. Right. You know, and it's I can't help doing that. We we grow this field of sunflowers, and I, it, and it's a huge field of sunflowers, and we basically grow it because they're beautiful, and they're on this road that is very well traveled. Well, I couldn't help myself. I had to set up a stand. <laughs> Oh, so you sell sunflowers now, so too? we sell sunflowers in the summertime. Yeah, so how does that work? People can just buy a bouquet of freshly yeah, cut sunflowers? Yeah, I pick them every morning and every evening, and I stick them in, in these big buckets, and they're 50 cents or a dollar. Oh, wow. And it's like a little honor system. Yeah. Yeah, it's really pretty. My husband, he, he plants them and grows them, and I help some with the weeding. And then, um, so how many sunflowers, I mean, how big is the space of sunflowers? Um, it's like an acre. Oh my goodness, it's of all sunflowers? Totally amazing, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I actually dream of having something like that someday. I think yeah, it would be awesome to look out the window and see sunflowers. Nothing but sunflowers. Yeah, it's, it's like being in, um, you know, Tuscany or, or France. Wow. Although they go forever, those sunflowers. Or I guess South Dakota's got those fields of sunflowers. Ours are more, um, it's an aesthetic thing. <laughs> well, the people who travel your road must be so grateful. I mean, even if they don't buy them, if they, you know, just look as they drive past, how beautiful. Oh, they love it. They totally love it, yeah. And it's, you know, we started it, I think, four years ago, and we didn't really make very much money off of it. But now people people get worried if we're, if Mark's not out there planting. Really? And, oh, my goodness. Is, are they going to do them this year? <laughs> so now we've got this huge amount of stress on us to keep doing them. And they're going to be in a magazine called Country Home. There's going to be an article if it runs. You know, sometimes these things fall apart. But they came last summer and took photographs of the whole field and my family and I. And that's supposed to be in probably next summer. We'll have to look for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's really excellent. I love the fact that you, you and your family, you kind of have this, like, cre- creative ex- expressions in everything you're doing. You're really, you're not just planting a few sunflowers. I mean, it seems like you don't do anything like 10%, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's like 110%. No. That's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do you get time to sleep? I mean, do you? Oh, 
yeah, we yeah. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just pass out from exhaustion. Yeah, you know? we sleep. It's, well, this time of year, you know, you, you're not outside as much. Right. You know, with the, the lambs, once it gets dark, there's no lights in the barn, so you can't really be there. And, but in the summertime, it's, it's busy. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So what do you want to do next? I would love to get back to my pottery. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also do um, oil painting. Yes, I saw that on your website. You yeah. have beautiful paintings. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I'd like to do a little bit more of that. But when I get into a project like a book, it just takes over my life. Yeah. And I, I, I have a hard time switching from discipline to discipline. So I'll, like, take on a big project and work on it for a long period of time, like a book. And then I don't even know what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. And and then I'll take like a, a few weeks off and I'll think of another idea that I want to do um, because it's just it's encompassing all encompassing one of these big book projects it's like how long did it take well you know it's like two three four years you know of from conception to finish it, right it, it you know by the time it comes out and then you got to do the publicity and you know it's it's a lot. <laughs> now, since you're established in your career, is it easier for you to, to sell your book ideas to publishing houses because you're established? Oh, yeah, I think it's way easier. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I have friends in high places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that helps. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I, I, you know, developed my reputation, and I worked with all these different magazines that are now publishing books, so I can, you know, it's not like they don't look and tweak the idea, you mm -hmm. know, so it's going to sell because they're always worried that it's got to sell. Right. Um, but I can go and at least I have a body of work and they'll say, oh, yeah. And then they look up to see how many books I've sold and whether it's a good bet or not. So, you know, because it's all about money and it's all about whether the book is going to sell. Right. Right. And, and in the end all of end all, that's what it is. What, do you, what advice do you have for up-and-coming designers, people that are looking to someday be living on a farm with a lot of sunflowers, a very colorful house, <laughs> and um, a, a yarn line, and several books under their belt? What advice do you have? Like, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? Uh, I, you know, I don't know if people read that book anymore. What color is your parachute? Do you know that book? Oh, you know, I haven't read that book, but it sounds like something I would love. Oh, well, it's it's like, it's something that was out in the 80s, and it basically is a book about follow your passion. There's probably some new new book that there has filled that void. If you have an idea, just go for it. Just keep working at it. Don't get dis discouraged, because eventually people will notice you, and I actually think it's way easier now to be noticed than it was when I was li little young. <laughs> because, <laughs> no, because all you have to do is start a blog. Right. And then if you link up with all these different people that are into it, then what happens, uh, the interesting thing I've seen is these people with the blogs that are pretty well read, they get book deals because the publishers are actually looking to the blogs for inspiration and finding people that well, have... Well, and you have the built-in audience, too. Like, if you have a, a blog, a following to your blog, um, I mean, people are already... Those people already have an audience, and so the, the publisher doesn't have to worry as much about who's going to buy this book. We're like, right. well, there's going to be at least this this core following will yeah. very likely do it. So yeah, but so. Um, you know, I I just think that there's so many possibilities with the internet that I still want to explore. Also, you know, the whole Etsy thing, and um, you know, just selling stuff online is is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And after I finish that book. This next book, I'm going to look a little bit more into that, I think. Well, when you set up your Etsy shop, be sure to let me know. And oh, okay. I will, um, <laughs> this year, I've been putting something on my blog every single day. And it used to be just uh, a place where I'd update the podcast information once a yeah. week. 
and now I'm posting stuff every day. So I'm looking for news items. So that could be something oh. that I would let people know. Also, for me, it's great fun to not only get to talk to such wonderful people like you, but to also see what you what they do next and kind of keep up on that and inform the listeners because um, I think after they've People have talked to me for about an hour, so um, the listeners at home feel like they kind of know you too. Uh, uh-huh. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's part of the fun is to see what people are doing next. And you've been on the Martha Stewart show. Yep. Yeah. And was yep. that her old, the old version of her show? Or it the was new? the old version, and it was it's kind of a funny story. They they came to my house, and Martha was actually on trial. Oh my gosh! At when that they, point. Are you kidding me? So th- th- her crew was at your house. Yeah, she's on and trial. And they come, and it's a blizzard. <laughs> oh it was literally a blizzard, and the the camera guy and the producer, the well, not the producer, the camera and the sound and the lights stayed in Greenfield, which is the town next to me. But then the producer was coming from New York State, and she had to drive through this blizzard to get here. So they do the whole thing. I mean, they were here for like nine hours, and it turned into a four-minute segment. <laughs> And oh they left, goodness. and they got stuck. <laughs> they had to drive back to New York City. They couldn't get out. They couldn't get out of here. My husband had to go borrow a tractor and chain from the neighbor, tow him up the hill, and he let him go. And he just, we were just hoping they le- got home. <laughs> oh my goodness! But then Martha, that day, you know, those people work so hard. They went back to the studio, that, and the next day, the lady that was the producer made the tape to as long as it had to be. They had been here for nine hours. Made it into four minutes, and then that weekend, Martha came in because she wasn't had, didn't have to go to court, and she did a, a voiceover. So it seemed seemed like she was interviewing me, but she wasn't. Oh, okay. And um, then I think two weeks after my thing aired, the show got pulled. Oh, and, wow! And it all went away, and then she went to the you know everybody knows what happened. But now yeah. she's back. She's back, she's back, and she's really rebounded. Yeah, she totally has. I, I mean, mean she's she's spring, she actually springboarded. I, don't, I wouldn't even call it a rebound. I mean, she is like, she, she's back stronger than ever, it looks like. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, she's, she's somebody to look, totally look up to, whether you agree with all her perfection or not. She's re- as resilient as they come. They really went after her, and I don't know the ins and outs of everything that went on, but it, I can't help but wonder if she was a... A man and <laughs> oh, uh, you I know, totally if, agree with you. If, if, just, if they would have, I mean, it just seemed like there was something to this where someone wanted to take her down, and it really didn't work. Not to say I think you definitely have to be totally honest and upfront about your financial dealings and so forth. You know, I would never in- endorse any kind of shadiness when it comes to that. But it really did seem extraordinary because people who do actually hurt people, you know, physically and commit serious crimes that injure people don't have to do time like she did. And it just seems it, it, it's bad. I never thought there would come a day when we would be talking about Martha's time in the slammer. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, well, she seemed like she was untouchable, you know, and I I think that her her attitude, she's changed a little bit now, but her sort of mightier-than-now attitude came back to slap her in the face, unfortunately, with that kind of thing. But right. I think what she did or what she continues to do for the home crash has elevated it to such a higher level than it ever was. Right, and right. You know, that, that show, I, I personally don't really like the new show because it, I think they've dummied it down. And the, the old show had so much incredible content in it, you know, when they would go to do these incredible field pieces all over the world. Right, because it, it used to be exclusively field pieces, basically, or her demonstrating things. Yeah, yeah, and now it's, it's a little bit too Hollywood for me. You know, I don't, uh, I don't even get it because we only get PBS, but um, it, I don't... 
I'm not as interested. Of course, if they wanted me to be on, I'd be I'd be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know too many people who would say no to Martha Stewart. No, you no, know. it's just. It's, it's amazing, though, how many hits I got just from being on that show on my website in a day. Yeah, Woo! I was watching an episode. I tape it on my TV because uh-huh. I'm never home when it's actually yeah. on. And she said something about she made a blog post and she, about, I think she had some kind of wall that was damaged at her one of her houses. And it was like outside a decorative thing. And she talked about, yeah, I got 30,000 comments posted. Oh, I'm thinking, my 30,000 comments. I mean, it takes me forever to get 30,000 hits, and she's getting 30,000 comments in a single day, you know. Oh. That really that really speaks to just the, the reach she has, and people yeah. really look to her. Oh, they uh, people love her. She's yeah. done some fantastic things for just kind of elevating, as you said, all these things that were considered too June Cleaver for people, you know, and she's really made it into an art form, and that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I know that people that are younger don't particularly care for her, or at least that's what I gather but then on the other hand somebody like debbie stoller who wrote the stitch and butch book right she you know she came in from the other end and almost with a feminist attitude and really helped knitting bloom right again you know i think what she did the tone of her books has gotten people in and you know all the all the stitch and bitch you know the groups and everything really got people going and made it okay so um you know there's there are have been some real great industry leaders that have just transformed it, what's, what's happened and made, made crafting cool. You know, Jenny Hart with the sublime stitching. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's gotten people to stitch that when they look at my stuff, they're not going to stitch my stuff because it's a little bit too – my stuff isn't really fussy, but it's, you know, I don't know, it's more decorator-looking or something like that. But she's got people stitching crossbones. I could never do a selling crossbones. <laughs> or, or like if the people who are stitching swear cross stitching swear words. You know, yeah, um, yeah. that might not be your thing. You it's know, it's not my thing. Yeah, you know, I, I totally appreciate it, and I I think it's really fun. Yeah, but it's not my thing. You know, I'm more about color and decoration and everything. Right, right. And sometimes it's hard to explain the F-bomb on your wall if it's neatly, st- neatly yeah. stitched, you know, and you're like, oh, pardon me. You know, you have a little curtain you put across there when grandma comes over, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but the cool part about it is there's so many entry points to the art and craft world. And if you're someone that has pink hair and a bunch of tattoos, you might be into a certain a thing that does not appeal to the person who's into, you know, aprons and uh, lots uh-huh. of makeup or something. You know uh-huh. what I mean? I mean, it's it's like it's so great to see that no matter who you are, no matter how you look and how you feel personally, what your attitude is, um, you can find an entry point to art and craft. And I think that's something that's really quite different about the time we're living in now is yeah. that you can the have... The other really cool thing, I think, is how it has the, the whole thing of the stitching and the knitting has the ability to pull together different generations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the, the younger like people in their 20s have really realized this, but you know, if you, it takes it takes like getting a little used, getting a little bit older, and maybe having a child or something to realize there's so much to learn from older people. And if the people that are you know doing all this subversive stuff, you know, they can connect with another generation and form friendships that just make your life so much more more interesting and fascinating when you have multi generational friendships mm-hmm. and that can happen with knitting and stitching oh yeah i one of my my greatest knitting pals is in her late 80s and uh-huh. i met her when i moved to west michigan and she um 
we were talking on her lawn. I just, I loved her garden, so I told her. I was going through a particularly rough patch, and uh-huh. I didn't live with my family. Well, I still don't. And I just kind of connected, and we started talking. I told her, I just started out by telling her I liked her garden, you know. It's a beautiful garden. She's out there watering her plants. And I was walking my dog, and we got to chatting, and she said she was into knitting. And I told her I was into knitting and all these other things. And so we started knitting together. And oh. um, when I, I moved, I've moved since then, so I don't live around the block anymore. Yeah. But, you know, I still try to keep in contact and see her when I can. But she, I mean, she came into my life at a great point, and it was really knitting. The fact that we were both knitters. That, that brought you together. That really got us together in the first place. And since then, you know, we've had discussions. We've covered everything from politics to family stuff and work stuff. I mean, and she, of course, she's not working right now, but she would be my sounding board, you know. And uh-huh. um, it's just been a wonderful relationship. And oh, yeah. We have more than 50 years, uh-huh. you know, separating right. our ages. But it's as if those years are like a year or two when we're knitting, you know. Yeah. So it's really fun. Oh, yeah. It's, so it's, 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 it's wonderful. totally cool. We've covered a lot of ground here. I don't know if there's anything in particular that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you. I'm going to be taping a new PBS show called Knit and Crochet Today, and it's at Detroit PBS, and oh. I'm going to be doing 13 episodes. Wow. So I, what I thought is I have to be out there for, I think, five days, so I thought I would love to do one of my color talks at night if I can find a, a venue that you know, has the computer hookup to make it into a slideshow. That's oh, okay. And, I'm intrigued by what Detroit PBS is doing. I'd like to get the oh, word it's out gonna be, it's about fabulous. that. It's, there's four people that are the experts, me and then a woman named Maggie Pace. Do you know her? No, no she's she knitting? A, like a felting knitter. Okay, okay. And then um, this guy named Drew Imborski. Oh, a crochet I love him. Dude. Yes, I've interviewed him. Okay, he's from well, West he's Michigan. He's going to be the, one of the crochet people. And then the other one is uh, Robin Chichulia, who's crochet by Faye. And so there's the four of us, and then the host is a woman named Brett Barra, who is actually the editor of a magazine called Crochet Today. Okay. And it's in the planning stages, but it'll all come together. So you guys are all going to be in the studio at the same time? The, uh, two of us, I think what's happening is, like, I'll be on the, on the set with, with Brett, and then it's not going to be a whole bunch of people sitting around, not like Nitty Gritty is. Oh, it's okay. Gonna so you're going to tape your segments independently, and then yes. they're going to put them together. Yes, and then they're also doing, they've already taped a whole bunch of field pieces. Oh. That, so it'll have that whole little field piece. In so have they been to your house and done some field stuff there? No, what they did was they went to the TNA show, and they oh, actually yeah. taped in a hotel room. But they, because all these people were there, like Kay Facet and the people, Jess and Casey, that, did, that have done Ravelry, yeah. they, they brought them to a hotel room and talked to them there. So they had like 20 interviews in one day. Oh, wow. That they're going to intersperse through these shows. And the way they started is they started with 13 episodes. And this winter, it's playing on a lot of PBS stations. PBS is totally confusing how it all works, but they've had a lot of interest. So they have had to go ahead to make 13 more and hopefully 13 more. Oh, okay. So it's already been on. It's been, it's actually just airing now. What, what is it called? It's called Knit and Crochet Today. They're having great response. You know, they've got it on all these PBS stations. And, I'll have to um, see if it's even playing in Grand Rapids. I'm assuming it It probably... might be because it's playing in Boston right now. Yeah, I'll have to check and see if it is. Thank you for your time. I okay, appreciate it. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Kristen for that great conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. Now I'd like to direct your attention to CraftSanity.com where you can find a project PDF to download. It's for a potholder project from Colorful Stitchery one of Kristen's books, and 
it's really cool. It basically is a project that will give you some ideas of what to do with recycled sweaters. So you can do some decorative embroidery on little pieces of felted wool and use them to in your kitchen or give them away as gifts. These are great portable projects, so enjoy. This week I'm really happy to let you know that we're going to be giving away copies of two of Kristen's books. First one is Kristen Knits. I also have a paperback copy of Knitting for Baby. What we're going to do is we're going to select two winners this week. To get in this random drawing, please post a comment about this podcast on the blog uh, under the write-up of this show. Please copy your comment into an email to me, jennifer at craftsanity.com, and please include your home mailing address. The comments can be about anything related to the show, but it might be interesting to get a conversation going about color, since Kristen is all about color. She's colors all over her house. I mean, she's definitely not shy about it, and her books are filled with loads of color. So why don't you tell Kristen and I how you use color? Are you conservative when it comes to color, or do you use color with wild abandon? Also, there's still time to get into the drawing for a copy of Samara O'Shea's book, For the Love of Letters. And this one requires uh, that you write a letter. The letters need to be postmarked no later than February 29th. Since it's about letter writing, it makes sense that we would have a snail mail way of getting into this drawing, which means you just have to write a letter. Tell me about your letter writing history. Did you ever receive or send a letter that changed your life? Send me your story for a chance to win a book and have your letter scanned in and published online. So please write for the love of letters on the envelope. Please also include your email address so we can reach you quickly if we need to. You'll need to send your letter to... My snail mail address, Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, Craft Sanity Podcast Producer, P.O. Box 888-192, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 49588. If you can't remember all that, don't worry, it's online. So the deadline for that drawing for Samara's book is February 29th. And the deadline is also February 29th for um, the Kristen Knits drawing as well. So we're going to keep February 29th as a big day. It's going to be a huge day because we have tons of contests and different things going on that February 29th is a deadline for. It's also the deadline for the Pen Pal Exchange. And I've gotten quite a few people interested in this, which I'm very pleased to hear about. I was inspired by Samara to start a Craft Sanity Pen Pal Exchange. Never done this before, but I thought, you know, I used to be in tons of Pen Pal exchanges when I was a kid and every time I went on vacation I would meet somebody and get their address and write letters back and forth and I absolutely love that. So so if you're interested in writing to a fellow Craft Sanity listener, email your, me your full name, age, some interests, and of course your mailing address and I will attempt to match you with someone with similar interests. Of course there are no guarantees. Please write pen pal exchange in the subject line of your email and again please send those to me by February 29th. Also, there's a fabric postcard swap going on. I just ask that you write fabric postcard swap in the subject line of your email. The deadline to sign up is February 29th. Also, if you're somebody who has a show suggestion for me, you know, hey, I make this thing, I'd like to her to do a show on it or see if she's interested, I do a craft column every week for my newspaper, the Grand Rapids Press, which is also available online. So I'm trying to kind of shine the spotlight as much as I can on on folks who are doing crafty things. Anyway, you folks have a fantastic week. I'll be back next week with yet another show. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me.
Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity. I am wearing an apron that I am so happy about. I just finished it right before I came upstairs to my office to tape this intro. It's the Emmeline apron, and it's by Montessori by Hand. And Meg is the creator of this, and I just have to say, Meg McElwee. She totally rocks because it went together faster than I thought, but I just have to say I really love this pattern, and I'm going to put a link. I've posted about this already on the on my blog but I'm going to just point out that if you're interested in getting the pattern for this, and I mean, I did not, I mean, I didn't get any kind of promotional, you know, free pattern or anything. I mean, this is something that I heard about online and I got on that, you know, mailing list so I could be notified as soon as this pattern was ready. I ordered it just like everybody else does and I love it. And I'm not a fabulous seamstress. I mean, I am pretty much self-taught and therefore I often make some goofs, but I'm happy with how this turned out. And I was going to put pockets in it, but then I thought, no, she does I mean, the pattern doesn't call for pockets. And I thought, you know, I need to make one following the directions because I frequently skip steps and do, because I mean, I'm always so eager to get the project finished. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know that this is worth your time. Montessoribyhand.net is her website and you can see her sewing patterns there. And I will say two thumbs up for the Emmeline apron. And uh, check it out. It's really cool. So anyway, that's all I have to say as far as apron news goes. As far as the fitness thing, I ate a lot of brownies this weekend. And back on the sauce, as in Pepsi. So I've, uh, I'm spiraling. My jeans still fit. You know, I'm still... I haven't really gained any weight, which actually is kind of bad. Because it's... um not putting any kind of fear factor into this about the fact that I'm not being, I wasn't very healthy this weekend and I'm, you know, not gaining weight and because I, I don't want psychologically to just think, hmm, well, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, keep guzzling the Pepsi and all that. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm hoping this week will go a little better as far as the workouts and so forth because I'm hoping to do some triathlons this summer and uh, I'm trying to run a 25K, same one I did last year. And then maybe the marathon again in October. I don't know. We'll see how my body's holding up. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to have some public accountability there. I don't know if any of you care how my fitness routine's going. <laughs> but I figure is I say it out loud, perhaps I will you know, take things a little seriously. Let's hope that by the time this is posted, I have uh, done some time on the treadmill. 